0: All right, welcome back. Uh, It's the right hook, but it's time for travel. For those of you listening last week, as Moncon sat in the studio naked to talk about naturism holidays, he's happily dressed today in a rather smart uh, linen sports jacket, uh, but wearing, of course, the... uh, iconic sandals that he was given by uh, an itinerant monk in India years ago. So, Monk, on wearing your monkish sandals, mm-hmm. uh, you want to go back to the itinerant monk who gave them to you in India.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Now, this this is very exciting for mm-hmm. me, because I loved reading about India. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so we have looked in the past at hill stations, Darjeeling, and we've looked at Ladakh in the high north of India in the Himalayas. This time we want to look at Rajasthan, which is the land of the Rajas, the great kings. It was the richest, uh, the most flamboyant, the most dramatic, the most bloodthirsty area of India. In terms of geography, we we sort of know where Delhi is. You know, it's in the centre north of, of the country. And right to the uh, west and to the southwest of that is this province, the biggest state. It's a state, the biggest state in India, Rajasthan. It has always been created sort of connected with it's a desert the Thar Desert and, and um, vast expanses of arid ochre ober desert but with these massive fortresses and palaces built in the middle of it by these phenomenally rich Maharajas and how did the Maharajas make so much money in a desert basically by 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 exerting taxes for millennia on their on everyone in the desert, all the people who were just like living subsistence farmers, every every single year would have to give money in the same way that the Irish chieftains in Ireland in in, in, say, in the kingship system of Ireland would have to give a you know a fraction of their produce and of their cattle every year. But this but the Maharajas were getting this every year, but they were in the place that they couldn't spend anything because they were in the middle of the desert. So they would spend all their time fighting, and they would build up vast armies and war at each other, create these palaces. And then what happened in the 80 years, when, the Mar- when Britain came over, brought peace to India. No longer were these people fighting with each other, the Maharajas, and they started just buying... So why we know about them now is for, like, from about 1890 to independence, they became the richest people on earth. Uh, In fact, the Maharaja of Patila was the richest man on earth. And they just started buying first, well, first elephants. Like one man, one Maharaja would have had a thousand elephants, all clad in rubies and emeralds and gold and silver. And then he would have had, another man would have a bull elephant that was 100 years old and had killed every other bull elephant it had known and had its own personal harem with female elephants. So it was all about excesses. When Rolls Royces came in, when you know Britain started connecting and showing Rolls Royce, they started buying Rolls Royces, cladding them in gold, putting ivory um, steering wheels, gold uh, upholstery on them, and all of those are still kept in these vast palaces, vast fortresses. When Rolls Royces became, when they became tired of those, they started buying trains and planes. They were just the bling, the sort of the kings of bling at their era. And now we can go visit the, these citadels and fortresses right. and palaces.
0: All this changed mm-hmm. with independence in 1947-48. Exactly. So now the British had to do a deal with them. Is that not so? Totally. So they were left to exist in their splendour yeah. and basically...
1: Got paid a salary by the state exactly. to keep them in the manner to which they were accustomed. I, that was exactly what happened until along comes Indira Gandhi in the early 70s and realizes we're not going to, you know, look after these their their sick, obsessive luxury, uh sort of will for luxury anymore. And uh JC took their stripped them of their titles and stripped them stripped them of their stipend or their allowance. Now um
0: this goes back, of course, pre 47 mm-hmm. to the great empire, and they would like the king. Emperor, as he was known, the King of Britain, mm-hmm. uh, George, and and so on. He would go out, and they would have this uh, enormous event with pig sticking and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but the other thing is cricket. Two of these guys played for England. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? No. Yeah, mm. Prince Ranzid Sinji. Oh, of
1: course, the Connemara, the Maharaj of Connemara. Yeah,
0: and his son, mm-hmm. the Nawab of Patodi, mm. uh, played cricket for England. So there's this huge connection with this there. Now, yeah. why I'd like to go there... Mm-hmm is trains and India are synonymous. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot of
1: trains over here, have we? Well, there's the famous, yeah, the, the Golden Triangle, this wonderful train journey that goes from Delhi to Jaipur and then eventually to Agra. Um, and we covered that. I think maybe on the very first podcast, our talk I did with you, whenever two years ago, a year and a half ago, we we, we, we it's like a, a, a train of absolute golden opulence that ends up in the very best of the um, of the fortresses and palaces. But it, it, but the problem is it doesn't go far enough west into the desert. It goes as far as Jaipur, and then you're heading back to Agra. If you really want to see the best of the palaces, probably the best of the palaces of all is 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 um, in Udaipur. So the first one people see is Jaipur. Jaipur is the capital of Rajasthan, and you're going going to see there sort of the the, the city palace which is this uh, taking over basically the whole of the center of the town is this phenomenal soaring building um, in sort of courtyards gardens buildings museums silver like collections of silver by the ton tiger carpets um, collections of miniatures of these miniature paintings that were very big in Mughal uh, India. Uh, that take up whole rooms of, and, and sort of splendour. Some of these Maharaja had to hire out a uh, mountainside to keep their gold and jewels. They had amassed such wealth that there was nowhere else to keep them. I mean, the the level of access that we're seeing in these places are amazing. In in Jaipur, in its main cal- palace is the Diwani Castle. It's a hall of private attendances where the maharajas is this beautiful marble uh, arched gallery where the uh, Maharaja would meet his ministers and there were two silver vessels they're still there which are 1.6 metres tall they're the largest silver vessels in the world they were used they were filled with Ganges water when let's say when the Maharaja had to go to Britain had to go and see for the incarnation in of 1902 of, of Edward Seventh. he didn't want to sully himself with the disgust of Europe so he filled these 1.6 metre silver vessels with Ganges water so he could just drink and wash in those well, what happened, that was the good years and they'd fill their ships with Ganges water. Then they started filling their ships with champagne, with French champagne and bringing it back again and sort of all went, it just became disgusting and excessive, a, a sort of a realm of indolence and prodigality um, at that stage. Uh,
0: uh, there's a wonderful Indian restaurant in Daki mm-hmm. called Jaipur and I hadn't realised Jaipur was actually the capital of Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. But one of the things about going there it, 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 the thing about Rajasthan, presumably, is really you're looking at the old empire, the mm. old, that.
1: So it's all about castles and forts and all silk this scarves sort of and yeah. Exactly. Where are you going to stay? <laughs> well, that's the beauty. So as we said, what happens in 1970 is, um, uh, you know, when the money when the, Gandhi takes away their money, takes away their titles. They are basically ruined. What are they going to make their money in? And suddenly they decide to open up their palaces as hotels. And they did deals each. Like the most famous one is probably Udaipur. And Udaipur is the next city to the west from Jaipur. And it's famous because of a lake. The greatest palaces and the greatest mansions, these hivalis, which are the traditional merchant mansions are all along the lake. And the only way of getting to the most elite hotels is across the lake. is being boated across this pristine uh, lake with the sun beaming down you and the desert around you and then the Aravali mountains in the distance, these ober and brown purple at Sunset Mountains, um, and there you stay in the original ta- in the original sort of fort, the U- 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 Udaipur Castle or Fort, which has been taken over uh, by the Taj Hotel Group. So it's now the Taj Lake Palace, and it looks like it's floating on the water. It's just just this whole vast complex of white marble, and inside. Um, the, each like each room. Some of these castles were a thousand rooms, and you know, each and some rooms just clad in gold and silver. But the the Taj Lake, I mean, it's going to cost a lot of money to stay in. Oh, is it? Yeah, I mean, I it'd to be cheap in India. No, no, no. Unfortunately, not. Now, this is this is elite. Uh, this is sort of an elite form of, of travel. Um, what, what's famous about Udaipur is Octopussy was filmed there. So then, they're still enormously proud of it. So you sort of you're going to see all these wonderful realms of Mughal architecture in the eighteenth century, of sort of earlier Raj, sort of fifteenth century. Um, but then, then the the main places that were filmed in in sort of octopus it's this mix of the old and the new. But right outside, the problem is like it's incredibly hot in these areas, you know, between uh, between Jaipur and Udaipur, just south of Jaipur. Is the is is national parks and you're thinking there can't be jungle in in enormous desert but there was because where oases where water was under the where, where there was still oases these pockets of national park of sort of bushland jungle survived and because the maharajas wanted them preserved owned everything controlled every element of them they've survived untouched because they were the hunting grounds of the maharajas so the last of the Bengal tigers are still to be found particularly in the Ranthambore national park and again. The heat. No, the tiger yeah. is an endangered species. I mean, in Rathenborg, there's only about forty-six left. Forty-six bird, uh, tigers, right. Bengali tigers. Because the Maharajas would have been shooting them for breakfast in the old days. And when you're going around the fortresses and castles, you're seeing these, you know, beautiful stuffed taxidermied tigers, taxidermied panthers, taxidermied bears. Uh, like as you said, it was the main uh, enjoyment was hunting. And what some of the Maharajas used to do was they would send to make sure that they found uh, that there was a tiger there. When like when they uh, when they invite their British ascendancy out on a hunt with them, they would have to bait the tigers, to make sure the tigers were there. So they would send out one of their men and they would tie up the man to a post overnight to make sure a tiger would sniff the man and come hunting. And then hopefully the, the, the Maharaja and the English lords would come early enough in the morning to actually kill the, the tiger. And before. save your man. Yeah, it didn't always happen, unfortunately. But the Rathamboura National Park has been saved because of their indulgence and their excess. And it's 1,300 kilometres of like, pristine jungle scrubland as I say, there's not very many. The word
0: pristine and jungle and scrubland don't seem to go together.
1: Well, everywhere else has just been raised, It's just been All got right. rid of entirely. You know, you can imagine trees were incredibly vital in the desert where there was nothing else. So to preserve them took uh, a system of rule of, of, of king rule. So as I say you're not going. You're going to have to do two or three, at least two or three safaris to see a tiger, to have any All chances. Right. But how on. am I going to get there? Mm. I mean this would appear
0: to be a holiday like for people who have a fair bit of cash.
1: Yeah, well if you want to stay in the in the in the in the beautiful sort of palaces, yeah, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Well where money. do you fly to Delhi? Fly or? to Delhi and then take the train. You can take, as I say, one of those posh trains. But if you wanna spend long enough in Jaipur, uh, I mean sorry, in Rajasthan, you wanna just you yeah, fly into Delhi and then take you can take a bus, there's like buses leaving every few hours. But otherwise one of the great rattling trains that take forever but are part of the, the journey. KLM and Air France will now get you to Delhi for four hundred and forty euros. You get to Etihad, we'll get you there for 540 euros. Lufthansa for 530 euros. So it's not very expensive to get to Delhi. And then, you know, 20 euros will get you. If you are going first class, it's going to cost near to 80 euros on the train. Um, but the thing is when to go. Like you do not want to go in the monsoon season. So you want to go, which is like July, August, particularly. Good time is May and June. Someone can get quite busy. But the main thing, if you go there in October and get there for the Pushkar Camel fair. Pushkar camel fair is just one of these most amazing experiences, basically the biggest camel fair in the world. And we don't know how long more this is going to continue. Camels are under threat in Rajasthan. So like if you go there 10 years ago, all of transport was done on, on camels. You are still seeing these long camel trains going across the desert. Even in the towns, still things are being, goods are being brought from the main cargo hold into the shops by camels. But these camels were reared by a particular group of indigenous pastoralists, the Raika, who believed they were put on earth by Lord Shiva to mind um, camels, in the same way as the Maasai in Uganda and Kenya believed that they were put on earth to mind cattle. The young Raika, uh, these young members of the indigenous group, don't believe that anymore. They don't see that they are God's servants on earth. And they see it's a lot easier to make money by buying a minivan and just driving that rather than going out. Um, herding these camels from oasis to oasis through the desert so where there were like 500,000 of them in 2003 there's now like half that uh, and their numbers are falling. So the great, and they're now being sold to to as as kind of camel meat to Bangladesh and to Uttar Pradesh. So maybe in years to come, the Pushkar camel fair just won't have as many. Yeah, camels because in it. It, 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 camels are an extraordinary beast, mm-hmm. and and uh, a lot of people
0: don't realise they, they were brought to Australia, for instance, mm-hmm. and used. Uh, hugely for for trafficking uh, st- goods and services around Australia, particularly through the great arid middle of Australia,
1: which is essentially all desert anyway. well, that's it like so they make. They make arid places where humans couldn't live. They make it possible for us to live because we did. You know, they provide camel dung for fire. They provide skins. Will provide a tent. The milk will provide you with milk if necessary. They so they in an area where you don't need to bring anything else into an area, camels will make it possible to live. And we might need them a lot more, you know, than we do now if once petrochemicals run out. Uh, the one thing I want you to do is, um, like so. I said, October, November. It depends. The camel fair in Pushkar moves from week to week. Otherwise, if you can go in October, make sure you go to Jodhpur and go to the, um, the Jodhpur folk music festival which like Rajasthan has always not only has it been about flamboyancy in its Maharajas or in the great colours of its clothes in the great silk scarves in the wonderful uh, head headdress headdresses that the men wear but also in terms of folk music and dancing it is they're just this passionate dramatic fun loving people and so the festival the folk festival it isn't a traditional thing it was only started up about 10 years ago but god the best folk musicians from all around the world and from all over India will come there and you know the normal folk festival you're thinking God it's going to be cold this is like gorge um, well nights in the desert are cold to be fair but the day it's just pristine and particularly at that time of year October it's never getting soaring hot and Jodhpur itself is a, it's called the blue city so it has the same these massive Fortresses, the most famous there is the Meherengar, which is where, within the walls of this fortress, on, on a 120-metre rock, the fortress is built into the, the rock. The rock that sort of the walls of the fortress are hewn out of the rock itself and built on top of it with this tar desert all around you. And the music events are, are happening in there. It's like an experience that you're not going to come across anywhere else. All these little halls of mirrored chambers of the... The weapons, the engraven weapons that were used by the, the 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 Maharajas for murder for gruesome purposes, are still there. The Maharajas had this thing of nobility and honour, just like the chivalrous knights in Europe. Okay, so that. If they found themselves cornered, they could never admit defeat. So what they would have to do, if they realised that there was no way out, like uh, yeah, like any sort of these heroic elements from our night stories, the Maharajah would have to ride out to certain defeat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, all his children and his servants, his female servants, were back in the in the fort. They would have to create a bonfire, light a big funeral pyre, and. Create, uh, commit sati, basically throw themselves on top of the fire and destroy themselves so they wouldn't be taken as slaves.
0: That's what widows did, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly, they throw themselves on the funeral pyre of their husband. That's right. Wasn't but, that yeah, right?
1: Exactly, because there was no point living without your man. Yeah, rightly I so. I wish women would feel like that now. <laughs> well, in the sort of in merangari you're still seeing. So you're still seeing the the cannonballs from the, the in the walls, the holes from cannonballs from 1808. You're seeing the spikes in the gate. To stop elephants charging through, like this is basically Hannibal's world. This is like a world of two thousand years ago in Rome, but it was still going on until the nineteenth century in 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 Rajasthan. So, um, there's so you have that's tales of daring do. You have these vast war fights, and you have all the the elephant, the jewels and the diamonds that the elephants were clad in their howdahs, which is the seat that the Maharaja would sit on. You have the harems for the female elephants all perfectly preserved because they say it's in the middle of the desert and the Maharajas, you know, they never lost control. They had to bow out when they lost money but they still kept on to their land until they handed it over to the... um To the resort. Can I give you two or three places to stay in Yeah, I think
0: you should. I begin to sort of uh, feel I need
1: somewhere to stay. Okay, well, if you're staying in Jaipur, uh, Jodhpur, I mean, which is, as I said, where the folk festival is on and where the wonderful Mehrangar Castle is, stay in the Umayyad Bawan Palace. It is owned by the same Raja Sur Singh, the Raja of, of Jodhpur, the king of Jodhpur, basically. Um, He built it, it was the last of the vast castles, built in 1943, sort of half sandstone and half red brick. And it is now basically an elite um, hotel. It'll cost you 10 grand for the Maharani suite, for the main suite. So it's where Elizabeth Hurley married her great Indian textile tycoon Arun Nair. Um, It's totally over the top. It's like... um, the food there you're going to go for it's the same with the Maharajas they're getting the very best food in from Europe so you're not going for your Indian curries you're going to eat like spaghetti pescatore and shiitake mushroom <laughs> done by a chef from the Ritz in Paris um, and, the and tr- that's a shame well, you can eat your Indian as well, but just but because what the Maharajas were looking at Europe, like it was all about having the okay. finest sort of. Give me a couple of other places. Okay. That don't Otherwise, cost the big grand. No, no. Okay. Otherwise, the thing is to do is like what you do in Kenya or Tanzania. You go out into a tent in the desert because it's going to be warm and you have more chance of seeing the deer or the wild. I'm boar. not going tent. Give me I a t- tent. No, it's a tent for two hundred euros. It's a luxury tent. They're going to be like teak furniture within the tent. You're going to have your own tiled bathrooms. So this is like luxury tents, to be fair. Rich, you know, expensive jute rug on the floor. There's a wonder, wonderful one in the Manvar Desert. Um, it's, it's part of the Tar Desert. Um, and it's basically, in, you're just seeing the most phenomenal sunsets and sunrises because there's nothing around you except in the far distance, maybe gazelles walking in the, in the, in the mountains. And the indigenous tribes who still live in this area, um, who still have no contact, you know, very little contact with the modern world, who don't educate their women, who don't go to, don't, do, do, they still barter. They don't, involved, they're not involved in the money economy. Um, some of those are the, the Megviles and the Bishnois um, and you get to sort of encounter with those otherwise an interesting to do in Rajasthan is to stay as a paying guest. So you know the way women are now worried about travelling in India because yeah. of some recent scarce terrible occasions. So what used... As we know, women were always protected. and The th- thing about Rajasthan is you're seeing all these, the harems, the enclosed areas where the women were never allowed to see the modern world. They, you know, looked at them through gauzes, through beautiful sandalwood created and sandstone carved um, windows. So what happens if a woman wants to travel, needed to travel? How was she going to do it unless there was a whole group of escorts minding her? She would become a paying guest. And the, right throughout India, there's this system of becoming a paying guest. Basically, you become... A banatee agrees to look after you, you know? and the vanity, will will she'll she'll look after your meals she'll make sure you're dressed in the right clothes going out every day um, and she'll make sure you go the right way and if she's thinking you're going to a dangerous part of town she'll send one of her sons or her husband to walk with you so not only do you do you feel safe but you get under the veil you get to see indian life in all its melodramatic bollywood chaos uh you know, in a realm in a way that no other tourist can. It's ideal particularly for women travellers. They should think of that. All
0: right, Okay. I was trying to remember and I have remembered the wealthiest man on earth at one point Mm -hmm. was the Maharaja of Baroda. B-A-R-O-D-A. I think he's still alive with all his millions. Well, uh, you can't top that anyway. uh, So heaven knows how Moncon's going to do it next Tuesday. It's Tuesday Travel saying goodbye as the sun sets over uh, the extraordinary palaces of Rajasthan. We've got more on The Right Hook.